listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Hi, we are the whole family. I'm Caleb. I'm Caitlin. I'm Charlotte. I'm Melissa. And I'm Karis. So, good morning, Faith Church. We miss seeing you in person, but are so thankful to be worshiping together from many locations. Today's scripture reading is John 6, 32-35 and 47-51. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is the word of the Lord read a story about a vegetarian restaurant that had a sign out front that said, eat here and live a long life. And not to be outdone, the barbecue place next door put up a sign that said, eat here and die happy. (laughs) There is something uh, very, I mean, obvious, but also profound about food and the attraction that it has for us, right? Whether it's a gourmet meal in a four-star restaurant, whether it's a Thanksgiving feast with family, whether it's some guilty pleasure from the drive through or the vending machine, uh, food really speaks immediately to us. And maybe even more so in this season, I don't know about you all, but uh, being at home more, I've certainly found myself sort of standing in front of the refrigerator more or the pantry, uh, sometimes even hoping that something will magically appear that wasn't there before, uh, that really will satisfy this hunger that I'm feeling. All creatures hunger for something that was created to satisfy their desire. The, The fact that a hunger exists means that something was created to satisfy that desire. Hummingbirds hunger for nectar and lions for meat and sheep for grass and humans for donuts and bacon uh, and my dog for anything that happens to land on the floor. Uh, That's just the reality of it. Uh, When we hunger, it's because we're longing for something to satisfy it. And we all know also that hunger is not just physical. We have these other hungers that are beyond just putting food in our stomachs. We have this desire to try new restaurants, to find new hobbies, to to hunger for a new job or a new relationship that's going to satisfy us or uh, the next vacation or the next promotion. We hunger for food, but we also have this hunger for something that is deeper and bigger than just food. We we want a, a meal, a bread, that doesn't just sustain us, but actually gives us life, that would make us feel like we're satisfied and we have it. And many things in this world seem to offer that, but they never really deliver, do they? Uh, Even the famous 
atheist and critic of Christianity, Bertrand Russell, acknowledged this. He wrote in a letter in his autobiography, at the center of me is always and eternally a terrible pain, a searching for something beyond what the world contains. I do not find it. I do not think it is to be found, but the love of it is my life, and it fills every passion that I have. I'm constantly searching, and Russell, as an atheist, says, I don't think anything beyond this world exists that will satisfy it, but I can't deny the hungers there. And that's where we come to this passage in John chapter 6 today. If you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bibles, pull them up on your phone or whatever app you use to connect with God's Word. Here's where we run into Jesus in verse 35 saying, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. And then down in verse 47, I say to you truly, truly, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate man in the wilderness and they died, but this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am living bread that comes down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The key idea that Jesus, I think, clearly wants us to see in our passage today is this, that Jesus satisfies all our hunger. Jesus has come to satisfy all the hunger that God has put in us, all that we experience. Because, see, we were created to live in communion, to have a relationship with God, and to find our satisfaction, our fulfillment in Him. And yet, even though we have walked away from God and we live in this world, alienated and separated from Him, we still have that imprint in us. We still have that longing and that desire to know Him and to walk with Him and to be filled with a relationship with Him. Jesus, when He makes this statement in verse 35, He, he uses this uh, emphatic double negative in the Greek where He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not ever hunger, shall never in no way hunger. It's not a possibility at all. C.S. Lewis, the famous Christian author, put it this way, if I find in myself a desire which nothing in this world seems to satisfy, it does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy only to arouse that desire and to suggest the real thing. Our souls, our lives, we're, we're not empty like a box that we can just put anything into. We are empty, Jesus suggests, like a stomach that was made to be filled, nourished with something. And Jesus wants us to see, I think in this passage we're going to look at, three ways that He provides that satisfaction, that fulfillment for us. Jesus provides bread for our minds, first of all. Jesus provides bread for our minds, for our intellect. The background of this passage in verses 1 through 15 is the, uh, Jesus' miraculous feeding of this crowd of 5,000 families. And, and then the rest of the chapter is about Jesus explaining what that was all about. Jesus multiplies the, these five barley loaves and the fish to feed the crowd as a sign, he says. 
What is a sign? I mean, a, a sign obviously is a symbol that's pointing to something else. When we drive down the road and you see the orange sign that says, caution, trucks entering highway, we're not intended to sort of go, wow, look at the design of that sign. That's a really attractive color. Boy, whoever did that sign did a great job, right? No, we're supposed to look at the sign to pay attention to what it's pointing us to, a danger or a caution or a need. And Jesus' signs are like that. It is God's glory and goodness breaking into this world to point us not to the sign itself, but back to where the sign comes from and and what the sign is pointing us toward. Now, Jesus has miraculously fed this large crowd, and people are talking about it, and, uh, and there's something significant in the background. He has fed them out in this wilderness area, and, and that was a sign for the God's people of that day that was tied to their expectation of the Messiah, and another one greater than Moses is going to come and, and do even greater things. And now Jesus is feeding the multitudes in the wilderness, and it makes them think back to the manna that Moses, God provided through Moses. So they come to him and they say, hey, do it again. Do that again. That was awesome. Show us, prove to us that you're the Messiah. We want to believe. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. And here's why. Because the, the miracles, the signs are not primarily meant to be proofs to convince people. They are pointing to a person instead. Let me put it this way. The the people who saw the miracles, if you look back through the New Testament, even through the Old Testament, they didn't really change anyone's mind about who God was. It didn't lead to mass conversions. It didn't lead to people saying, oh, now I believe because of this miraculous sign you've provided. All the miracles in the world were not going to convince some people, many of the people, in fact. The people say, make us some more bread and then we'll believe. And Jesus says, no, that the bread is not what you need to believe. I am the miracle. I am what you need to believe in, not the bread, not the sign, not the outcome. I am the bread of life that you need, not the physical bread to convince you. J- Jesus is saying this is the evidence uh, that Christianity really is true, not the bread, but me. I am the proof. I am the evidence. It's not just my miracles. It's not just the arguments I'm making. It's not just my teaching. It's my whole life. It's who I am and what I've come to do. A number of years ago, I was meeting with a young guy, a spiritual seeker. We were going through Bible passages. He was kind of exploring Christianity, and eventually we got to a point where he said something along the lines of, you know, I just, I wish there would be, you know, this this sort of answer for all of it, right? Like that, that I could have some watertight argument. If, if God, you know, could just make it clear to me, then I would believe. I, I, you know, I, maybe if you have friends or relatives that have said something like that, or maybe you've thought that or wrestle with that yourselves. You know, I'd like to believe in God. I just need the, the right evidence. I, I need, I need the proof the Bible doesn't really give us proof in that way. It points us to a person. It points us to Jesus. Jesus says, look at me. Look at my life. Look at who I am. Look at what I claim about myself. Look at what I do. I am 
the bread that you need. I mean, what if, what if we started performing miracles right here at Faith Church? 9 and 1045 every Sunday morning, miraculous, amazing, inexplicable things happening. Would that lead to mass conversions? I don't know that it would. Because our minds can come up with all kinds of explanations and justifications and reasons not to believe what we don't want to believe. Jesus says there's only one proof. Look at me. Look at my life. Look at what I do. Look at how I live. And and Jesus is not saying don't use your intellect. He's he's not saying check your mind at the door to, to come and follow me. He's saying the point of the miracle is to get you to look at me and consider who I am. What do you do with a person who says and does the kinds of things that Jesus says and does? I don't know about you. I have, uh, I've had periods in my life of some really deep, dark doubts and spiritual wandering and confusion. Wondering, is this even true? Does this even make any sense? But because the, the pain and the disappointment or the whatever I'm going through in my life is throwing me back to say, well, if this is what following Jesus is like, is this even it? Is, this even, is there any truth here to fall back on? And what I have fallen back on is not a, a rationalization or thinking my through, myself through the answers, but I always fall back on this. What do I do with Jesus? Who is he? How do I make sense of him if he is not who he claims to be? Jesus says, I want to engage your intellect. I want to satisfy your hunger for answers, but it's not in the miracles. It's in me, in my life, in who I am, in what I have done, in who I claim to be. You you may have to wrestle intellectually with that. It's okay to wrestle with doubt. But don't look for the outcome as the measure of whether or not Jesus really is trustworthy. In other other words, you see, the people were saying, well, you know, we'll believe if, if you provide the bread. The proof is not in God being useful to us. If if I can get God to perform for me, to give me the answers that I think will satisfy my intellectual curiosity, then he's not God. You know, a dog will perform tricks for you if you train them well enough. Any God that you can get to provide for you on command is not a God worth worshiping. Jesus is saying, I am the bread. I am the answer for your intellectual quest, for, for, for your mind. But you're going to have to trust that I'm bigger than maybe even the questions or the answers that you're looking for. There, there's no killer argument, Jesus is saying. I am the answer. I am the proof. I am the bread of life for your mind, for your intellect, for all those questions. But then secondly, Jesus also provides bread for our bodies, for our lives, you know, the, the signs, the, the I am statements, the explanations of who Jesus is, they're, they're not mainly, you know, proofs of his power. I mean, if you think about this, yeah, it's impressive that Jesus feeds 5,000 people, 5,000 families in this way. I mean, I, certainly I can't do that, but 
At the same time, we could think of a lot bigger miracles than that, right? If this is just about showing how powerful he is. I mean, why not feed everyone in Israel? Why not feed the whole world? Why not literally drop loaves of bread, like up to, up to waist high? Why not? I mean, if, if he's really God, I mean, he could like fly to Rome and, and like land in the Colosseum when it's full of people, like maybe do some sky riding and fireballs and explosions and, you know, and the centurions start to approach him and, and he just, you know, wipes them out with a wave of his hand. I mean, that would be impressive, Right? See, it goes to show that the the miracles, the signs, are not there to demonstrate how powerful He is. They're actually there to show what He came to use His power for. They are signs of His mission and His purpose. They tell us what He came to do and how we're a part of that mission. Does that make sense? Jesus provides bread. Yes, He feeds these people because He knows what hunger is and and He cares for us. But it's really a sign of His mission, what the kingdom of God is about. All those ways that Jesus sort of intervenes in unusual ways, raising the dead, opening the eyes of the blind, cleansing lepers, feeding the hungry, they're all about what the kingdom of God looks like. Jesus is coming and uses his power and teaches in a way to say, I'm coming into this world to fight hunger and alienation and injustice and the brokenness of this world. Jesus' entire life was an assault on death and destruction and devastation and decay and and distancing. And Jesus says, I've come to do something about those things because they're wrong and it's brokenness in the world. What Jesus is doing when he intervenes in those ways is not suspending the natural order. He's actually reestablishing the natural order. You see, God did not create a world that was designed to have children with bellies bloated from hunger. God did not design a world that was intended to have eyes that don't see and bodies that fall apart and decay and violence and corruption and greed and oppression. And every time Jesus talks about his mission and what he's come to do, he's he's talking about those things. He's talking, he's pointing to a society where people are not taken advantage of, where people are not marginalized, where, where people flourish and they're alive to be everything that God created them to be. Because Jesus cares about our bodies, he cares about our lives, he cares about our families, the world that we live in. Jesus has come to reestablish God's plan to undo all the brokenness and the wrong and to bring us into that mission. And when we see all those things around us in the world, all the hunger and the brokenness and the pain and the loss and the alienation, I hope our response is more than just, well, you know, someday Jesus is going to come and fix it all. I mean, he is, yes, and amen, and thank you for that. But Jesus comes to say, my kingdom is opposed to those things and fights against those things. And so he's saying, I think, to us, you've got me as a model, you've got hope, you've got power to engage in that mission. I mean, I think that's part of what Jesus is getting at when he says later, When he's preparing to leave and go back to the Father, you're going to do greater things than I have done. I'm going to be working through you 
to further this mission that, I, that I've given you hints and direction and signs of, to feed, to restore, to heal, to care, to bless. You know, this is a time of year when we often get moved by compassion to provide bread for the hungry. That's a, that's a good thing. But what if we said, you know, Lord, I don't want to just do that at Thanksgiving and Christmas. I want it to be my lifestyle that you're working through me to care about people's lives and, and to help in practical ways as an expression of what your kingdom looks like. That, that I care about clean water and rescuing people and, and trafficking and getting people out of brokenness because that's what your kingdom looks like and that's what you use your power to do. Because Jesus provides bread for our bodies and for our lives, but ultimately, of course, Jesus provides bread for our souls. Jesus provides bread for our eternal life. Because underneath the physical hunger, there is a spiritual hunger. And he says, setting up this passage back in verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. Oh, well, what must we do to earn this bread? To do the works of God. Jesus says, this is the work of God that you believe in the one that the Father has sent. Believe in the one that the Father has sent. That is the bread of life. That is what your souls need that, that nourish you. We've got this hunger within us, Jesus says. It's something deep. It's whether we look to family or acceptance or power or money or entertainment or comfort. Whatever we try and fill that with, Jesus says, is never going to satisfy. It was never meant to satisfy us. And I think maybe one of the questions we can go from here and wrestle with is, what am I looking to to feed my soul? What am I looking at to nourish my hope, my security, my identity, to, to prop up my sense of who I am and what my life is about. Because Jesus says in verse 35, I alone am the answer. I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. It, it is perhaps impossible to exaggerate the significance of this verse. All that God is for me in Jesus Christ is what I hunger for, is what I was made to find life in by appropriating, by believing, by nurturing and feeding myself on that. You see, Jesus is not saying you're, you're going to literally, you know, believe in me or trust in me or eat this bread of life and never get hungry again. He's saying now you know where to come for the satisfaction of what you were made for. Jesus did not come to just provide bread, but to be the bread that would fill us and nourish us. Jesus didn't come to be useful to our lives, but to be treasured and to be the satisfaction for our lives so that we would feed our souls on 
the never-ending supply of God's goodness and grace and glory to us in Jesus Christ, a, a supply that will never run out. All the other treasures, all the other blessings, all the other joys that we experience are pointing to this, are meant to point us to Christ as the ultimate answer and fulfillment to all of those desires, all of those longings. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's not just saying I'm the satisfaction to those desires, but I think he's also hinting at something much more significant about what bread actually does and how it nourishes us. I mean, the, the wheat has to be threshed, and then it has to be ground and crushed, and then the bread has to be baked, and then we have to break it apart to feed on it. And I think in that image of himself, Jesus is in fact pointing us to what he will ultimately do. He will go to the cross and his body will be broken to feed us so that we can live, so that in his dying we would find life, so that in his body being broken we could be put back together. That is an amazing claim to say in the end of verse 51, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And maybe some of you are feeling, I really, one person is the answer for everyone in the world. Can, can anyone really believe that? Well, that's not a new objection. I mean, back in this chapter even, people wrestled with that, and many of them went away because they simply could not accept what Jesus was saying. But some of them hung around, Peter and James and John, who wrote this gospel, even though they maybe didn't understand all that it meant. Jesus says, are, are you guys going to leave too? And he says, I don't know where else we'd go. You have the words of eternal life. I think what Peter's saying there is, I don't, I don't get it, but I'm going to hang on because I, I can't get away from what you're saying, Jesus, and I'm going to hang on until I can figure it out. So if that's you, if you don't totally get this, but God is prompting you, is prodding you in some way with these words, and, and you can't get away from them, be like Peter and just at least hang on and take the next step and be willing to go with Jesus even when you don't get it. But if Jesus has saved you, make sure that he is your life in the most profound way. Because you see, when, when Jesus is saying, I'm going to have to be broken for you to be put back together, I'm going to die so that you can live, he's inviting us into that same pattern of life, right? Right? It, it's when we come to the end of ourselves and say, I don't have any strength for what you're calling me to do, Jesus. That's when we get the strength. When, when we think we're something, that's when we're nothing. When we think we have it all figured out, that's when we're fooling ourselves. But Jesus is saying, just like in laying down my life to find a different kind of life, Jesus is saying, if I'm going to be your life, you're going to find that strength when you acknowledge your weakness, when you acknowledge your lack of understanding, when you acknowledge your need. 
If we're to feed on Jesus as our life, it means constantly living in that awareness. I need him every hour. Because just about every problem that I have in my life comes from not feeding on him in this way. I'm feeding my soul on something else. When I'm anxious and worried about the future, it's because I've made some preferred outcome the bread that's going to satisfy my soul. And now I'm anxious because I'm concerned that that's not going to happen. And so now I'm worried and, and I get wrapped up in trying to figure out how I can make that happen or becoming anxious about what, what if it doesn't happen because I'm feeding on that as my life instead of Jesus being my life. When I get angry because I've been wronged, it's because, well, my identity or my significance or the respect that I deserve is being threatened because I'm feeding on that as my life instead of Jesus being my life. And on and on and on. So, so you see, if I'm worried, I don't need to tell myself, okay, I've, just, I've got to stop worrying. No, I need to feed on Jesus as my hope and my security. I remind myself who he is and, and what he has done and what he has promised. Jesus is the bread of life. He says, feed on me, feed your soul, feed your hope, feed your life on me. See who I am, remember what I've done, and you will not hunger. You will not thirst. You know, uh, Robert Farrar Capon has this great uh, line in his book, The Wedding, The Feast of the Lamb, where it's sort of an exploration of the beauty of food and, and community. And he says, in this veil of sorrows, we need to be careful not to let abundance kill hunger. We are surrounded by so much wealth and so many resources that we can actually fill ourselves up with things that don't really satisfy and nourish us. Anyone have a bunch of leftover sugar or chocolate sitting at home today from last night? Maybe some. Maybe some of you saying no because I ate it all already. It was my pattern on November 1st. Maybe it's not the Halloween candy. I mean, Amelia and I have had some opportunities to go out to really nice steakhouses. And uh, the, the wonderful but dangerous thing is it's not just the steak that's great. It's the fresh bread out of the oven and drawn butter and the appetizers and and you can fill up on those things and then the steak comes and you're like oh can i get a doggy bag for that jesus is saying that we live in a world with so many things that are offering to fill us up what you need is me your soul was made to be fed on me don't settle for junk food Come to me and let me satisfy the hunger that your soul was made for, to eat and be satisfied, to be filled over and over again with the life that Jesus has in himself. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you know what we need and you are the bread that gives life to our minds, our bodies, our souls to satisfy us. And that Jesus, you are, you are willing, you were willing to lay down your life to die in order that we may live and you invite us now into that kind of life with you. Lord Jesus, help us to see the ways that we feed on things less than you that cannot satisfy us. 
and to feed on you to find life and satisfaction for all that you have made us to be. We pray with gratitude and trust in your name, Jesus. Amen.